Well, once again, it's time to go Inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Subalero, and today's Inside EMS podcast is sponsored by FirstNet, built with AT&T. FirstNet uses the latest technology to keep your lines of communication and data open to help you respond faster, smarter, and safer. And here he is. I know you're waiting. He should be the one to open every show instead of me, because I know you're waiting to hear from him. Everybody's good friend, Uncle Kelly Grayson. Uncle Kelly, how are you today? I'm, I'm good, son. Let's gather around the campfire and, and let Uncle Kelly tell you how it used to be in the good old days. The good old days before electricity? That's all right. That's right. We had to we had to scribe our, our EKG rhythms on stone tablets. And by God, we were grateful. We were grateful. <laughs> you kids these days with your life pack 15s and your focus and your and your video laryngoscopes. Back in the day, we had to do bloodletting, and by God, we were grateful. That's right. Uh, we used to carry I, leeches. That's right. Uh, man. Yeah. I find myself in that position more and more these days. And it's, it's distressing, you know, when your partner, you get a, a temporary partner for the day and they have this distressing habit of calling you, sir, like, uh, like Lucy on, uh, or not Lucy, uh, who was the, who was peppermint Patty's little sidekick that kept calling her, kept calling her, sir. Uh, Marcy. Marcy. Yeah. Marcy. Yes, sir. And, I was like, no, no, sir is, sir is, uh, or Mr. Grayson, God forbid. And I, I look around for my father, <laughs> Mr. Grayson. Yeah. Mr. Grayson. All right, cool. You know, but I think that that kind of goes into the topic that we want to talk about today, mm-hmm. you know, and I think both of you, uh, both of us had some enjoyment in reading an article by our peer, uh, Todd Bowman. He is a critical care paramedic. He wrote this article on EMS one, five ways to build confident providers. And one of the things that we try to do is whether you're a partner, whether you're in leadership, whether you're in training, is you always look for ways that you can build confidence in providers. You know, Kelly, Mm -hmm. one of the things that I used to talk about all the time is that if I ask you what's the number one call that gives the EMT and paramedic the most trepidation, what is that call? It's pediatrics. It's the pediatrics. But here's the but here's the thing. If we know this as leaders, if we know this as trainers, what Mm -hmm. are we doing to help those people develop that weakness into a strength? Because if we're not going to help them develop them and the mother hands you a three-month-old that's in cardiac arrest and you're not comfortable with that arrest, Mm -hmm. we're just as culpable as they are. Now, if you know that that's a weakness for you, what are you doing to make that a strength? But the, the point of what I'm trying to get to is... Where is our responsibility as leaders? Where is our responsibility as partners? Where is our responsibility as training uh, cadre to make sure that we're developing confident practitioners? And I think we both had some enjoyment of reading Todd's article. And we just want to talk a little bit about it, maybe give a little bit of spin. You know, Todd gives you five ways to inspire confidence. And Kelly, number one, is training. And, you know, that's Mm kind of what I'm talking about right now. Before I became the chief of EMS, I was a clinical coordinator at a high performance EMS system. I became the clinical director and the confidence of trying to develop somebody into the next level provider was always challenging. And one of the things that we have to be able to look at is individually, how do we grow those people to the next level of their career? You know, we use the CQI process to say, you know what? People aren't documenting or they're not treating chest pain the right way, or they don't have good intubation success rate or IV success rate. Let's put some, 
you know, let's put some training together over that. But what about the people that aren't having innovation challenges? What about the people that aren't having IV challenges? What about yeah. the people who are strong in cardiac, uh, you know, cardiac treatment? But training has to be the core component. And I think mm -hmm. and I'm just going to get off my soapboxes. I'm, I'm on a roll now. So mm -hmm. one of the things that is interesting, and I say this all the time, tongue in cheek, that EMS is a very egotistical business, but it's yep. the egotism that keeps us from asking the question why, because we don't know what we don't want to look like. We don't know what we're talking about in front of our peers. And if you yeah. know everything there is to know about EMS, raise your hand. I know I can't do it. And um, I'm waving my hands in the air like I just don't care. All right, let's go ahead and bust in a song now. <laughs> I'll get off my soapbox. But it's the point that we have to develop training for yeah. the individual paramedic and EMT and not just CQI training. Yeah. Well, you know, the military has long said that, that uh, the more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in combat. And that, that uh, um, you know, the, the value of, of, uh, training and repetition that, that Todd uh, uh, touches on later on in his article, training, training, training under stress, you tend to revert to your lowest level of training. And often people think that, you know, on, on a good day, they can, they can work a good code on sim man or intubate him with all the, uh, the, the difficult airway stuff implemented. Um, but that's on a good day and, and they judge their performance often by their good days instead of what their baseline is. And uh, you, you train until that baseline is is much higher uh, than than just a good day, uh, and and this is the problem with with training uh, in general in many agencies. We we kind of pay lackluster uh, attention to it, and and we tend to take the uh, path of least resistance. We we train a little bit till we feel a little bit better about our skills, but not until we achieve true mastery, and. Uh, you know, the, this is uh, all of my students sit there and, and uh, stress and worry about passing the national registry exam or passing my class or whatever. Uh, I, I keep telling them, keep working at this because confidence is going to come with with training and skills. And, and after a while, you're not going to have to think about these things, it's going to come naturally to you. Uh, it, it will be cemented in long-term memory uh, and it'll be part of your muscle memory and you'll do it without thinking. Uh, but before you get to that point, you think you'll never get there. You know, you, you, you can't envision yourself ever doing something so automatically without thought. It's like driving a car, Chris, you know, you remember what it was like when, when you were your dad or your, your parents were, were, teaching you how to drive a car in an empty parking lot or a country road somewhere. And you're nervous and you're, you're constantly repeating to yourself, uh, you know, check steering wheel 10 and two and check your rear view mirrors and, and lining up your car in the lane. And you're, you're constantly repeating this mantra to yourself, nervous as a, as a cat in a uh, room full of rocking chairs. Yet now, when's the last time you had to, you had to, you know, consciously think about the process of driving somewhere. A long tail cat in a room full of rocking chairs. That's right. That's right. Thank you for I mean, if you're going to use colloquialisms, man, let's that's get right, that right. That's right. But I think you're right. I mean, one of the things that we know, I mean, it, let's even make it more specific to EMS, Kelly. When's the last time you really thought about starting an IV? When's the last time you really yeah. thought about innovating somebody? When's the last time you really thought about, you know, how to read an EKG? You just kind of look at it and you're like, oh, this is what it is. And even more importantly, what we've done with all them, all those uh, years of uh, starting IVs and intubating and all the things that we've done, 
we've even changed the paradigm of how we do that. We don't do the skills yeah. the same way today that we do them true. back when we first started. Right. So when you think yeah. about this, you really have to be able to take the egotism out of your, uh, out of your practice of being a medic. Because it's the egotism that keeps you from asking the question why. Once you can humble yourself to say, I don't know everything there is to know about EMS. I don't know everything I need to know about cardiology. I don't know everything I need to know about CPAP. And then find out. Make yourself to be the best that you can be. And that comes from training that you get inside an organization. That comes from everyday training. That comes from whatever it is, man. Just make it happen. Number two. Yeah is crew resource management. Yep. Confidence is formed when you have a standardized dispatch and paramedics don't have to worry about additional resources that are responding. That comes right from the article that Todd yeah. writes. I mean, in that sentence, just that one sentence there really kind of outlines the importance of crew resource management. Kelly, what do you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, uh, this, the collaborative approach and mutual respect and, and communication elements of, of crew resource management, uh, are the things that make a, a confident, uh, and calm provider all too often, especially when you're a new medic and you're unsure of your skills, uh, unsure of your knowledge, you project, you project that there's a whole lot of projection going on and, and you tend to treat your, your, EMT partner or your subordinates as, as idiots uh, and feel the need to dictate and micromanage every aspect of their care, uh, forgetting the fact that uh, they're not the ones with the ink still wet on their card. It's you. <laughs> and, and you can always spot that, that new uh, provider because they, they'll, they'll throw their weight around a lot. And the new uh, provider smell. Yeah, the new provider smell. Yeah, smells suspiciously like fear and feces. Like, well, I was going to say, <laughs> it's like the new car smell. I wasn't. Yeah, uh, yeah, you, I know. Know. But, you don't have to be negative all the time. I mean, come on, the class is half, the class is half full, Kelly. Yeah, the, but the class is half full. Yeah, but it but it's true that, that oftentimes the people that most need the help of their fellow crew members are the ones that are least likely to ask for it or accept it, and that is just the, the, to my mind that is simply projection. They are unconfident in their own skills. Uh, and they project that lack of confidence on, onto the actions of others. And crew resource management, you know, is your safety net. At an agency, if you fostered a culture of mutual respect, good closed-loop communication, uh, and collaborative approach to EMS care, then there's no shame in saying, hey, guys, got any ideas? Uh, Y'all see anything I missed? It's your safety net, you know? And, and you know as well as I do, when before we talked about things like crew resource management, uh, what a boon it was to have a partner that was really good that you could bounce ideas off of, somebody that you could trust that you, you know that you're going to, they're going to have your back. Uh, and uh, having that sort of system um, institutionalized at your agency is, is a huge thing towards, towards creating those calm and confident providers. Now, Todd points out in the third thing, uh, call repetition. Um, you can't develop a great deal of confidence if you're not running many calls. And that is, uh, you know, that was one of my, my biggest 
concerns when I was a new paramedic. I was a, I was uh, totally different from Todd uh, in in the confidence level. Uh, Todd describes himself as as nervous and un- underconfident. I was that other type of paramedic student that thought he was God's gift to EMS, and and uh, I'd be able to show it just as soon as somebody had the common courtesy to die in front of me. Um, so what my agency had to do, or or what the career life had to do was slap me down a little bit uh, and, and teach me some humility. Um, but you can't develop a sense of pattern recognition. You can't develop that muscle memory if you're not running a bunch of calls. And uh, this, this struck home to me uh, at a uh, EMS conference a few years back with Nancy McGee, we were talking to some providers in South Dakota uh, after one of Nancy's volunteer workshops. And, and the lady said, I've been in, uh, came up and, and thanked Nancy and thanked me for the, the sessions we did. And she said, you know, that helps so much with my confidence. I've been an EMT for 15 years and I've only been the lead EMT on eight calls. <laughs> it's like, Oh my God. Um, how can you imagine, you know, uh, that you, you run so infrequently, you, you care about it. You try to keep your skills up. You try to keep your knowledge up. You, you pay your money to go to conferences to, 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 uh, keep that up, but to actually practice it, it's like every day is a new day. Um, so call repetition is huge, but you have to, you have to first, uh, possess the background knowledge and the theory to make some use of all that repetition and experience. Otherwise you have my, my, uh, standard phrase. It's, uh, there's some medics with 20 years of experience and there are many more medics with one year of experience repeated 20 times. Yep. That's a good one. That's one of my favorite. We should have a show on the Kelly Grayson, uh, the, the Graysonisms. We'll, yeah, the we'll Grayson. do that. We'll alternate uh, we'll, yeah. the, the Chrisisms and the Kelly. Oh, I don't have anything that I say. I don't have, <laughs> oh, I don't have, well, Chrisisms. none are, none of that are repeatable on a family show. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and take our mid show break Kelly and uh, do our mid show read. And then we come back, we're going to give you Todd's fourth and fifth suggestion on how to build confident EMS providers. Let's do it. Everyone in EMS deserves a reliable communication network like FirstNet built with AT&T. Your fellow public safety professionals at more than 19,500 agencies nationwide rely on FirstNet to make sure they have the connectivity and data they need to care for patients. And FirstNet is now offering increased coverage in rural and tribal areas. So whether you're looking for an individual plan or an agency-wide solution, you can join FirstNet and check out their limited-time special offers at FirstNet.com. All right. So number four in the five ways to build confident providers, Todd does a really good job of selling the quality assurance program. Mm -hmm. And he talks about that a properly run quality assurance program uh, should be something that is uh, used to build confidence and not one that is built to be punitive. And a lot of people don't like the uh, quality assurance program because they think that someone's coming to get them. Yeah. And I got to tell you, yeah. Kelly, in, in the day, that's what it was used for. The, the people were using it as, mm-hmm. as a punitive punishment. You didn't do this. You didn't follow this protocol. You didn't document the right way. You didn't list your charges the right way. And now here's a verbal warning or whatever that was. But mm-hmm. the purpose of quality assurance is to make sure that people are delivering the highest quality of patient care that they found. One of the things that I've done in the quality assurance programs that I've had the honor of leading 
is I've been able to take data to the medical director to say, we mean, they we may need to change this protocol or a lot of these people are adding this to the protocol. What do you think about adding this and making it part of the protocol? So I think that there's some of that. Now I got to tell you, getting a snapshot into how we're treating chest pain patients, what's yeah. the time to first shock? What's the intubation success rate? What's the IV success rate? These are things that we need to know from an organizational standpoint, standpoint that we can create the education that needs to be created to make sure people are developing the confidence that they need. But I'll go back to my comment when we first started, Kelly, it just shouldn't be about what you're finding in the charts. It mm -hmm. shouldn't be based on quality assurance. It should be based on the need of the provider and training them to their specific challenges, weaknesses, and overproduced strengths, believe it or not. Yeah. And you know, I, I've long said that I, I differentiate between quality assurance and CQI. And, and uh, it's the, uh, and it's not so much the textbook definition of each of those terms. The way I differentiate it is, is, is I, I'll ask uh, people in a seminar, you know, how many of you refer to your QA uh, person as the ticket police? Uh, and, and you only get feedback uh, when you've done something wrong or you've made a mistake. Uh, the only feedback you get is negative. And the ones that raise their hand, it's like, oh, you have a quality assurance program. How many of you get feedback when you've done something right? You get attaboys on a regular basis and you get affirmation of a good job. And the people that raise their hand, I say, you have a uh, continuous quality uh, improvement program. Uh, you have a, a collaborative and, and trust building approach to education to get people better, not just punish them or identify mistakes. And that is that is a, a in concept, a, a very easy way to differentiate. But man, a lot of EMS training programs fail in that regard. Uh, and, and our listeners should probably chime in with, with all the times that they have, have gotten a, a slip or an email or whatever uh, about a ticket. Uh, and, and invariably, before you open it, you know it's something negative. You've done something wrong. You've deviated from this. You've deviated from that. I think one of the hallmarks of a, of a bad agency and a bad culture is the place that has uh, restrictive protocols uh, that slaps you down for deviation. Uh, and conversely, the, the place that, that has uh, progressive and advanced protocols uh, and, and takes a, a broader view of protocol deviation uh, rather than just the, the, the punitive view uh, is usually a hallmark of one of the better agencies out there. Um, and you said it best, you can flag, uh, you can flag procedures and things in your run tickets, but it is no replacement for being able to see these providers one-on-one -on -one, uh, to actually read the narratives instead of read the reports uh, generated by your, your QI flag um, and, and understand in depth what this paramedic's uh, strengths and weaknesses are. That's hard, Chris, for a, for a big agency. You have to have a lot of people on staff to have that kind of proactive CQI program. But I think the juice is worth the squeeze. Um, when you were a Christian, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how many, how big it was, but you also worked at MedStar, you know, it, it's a much 
uh, with a with a much larger fleet and a, a much larger cadre of, of paramedics out there working, uh, it's a, a monumentally more difficult task to to stay on top of the CQI thing than it is for say me in my first job um, where we had you know five or six paramedics. So the medical director knew us all personally, uh, knew what we were good at, knew what we were not good at, and and worked and helped us with the things that we were weak on. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point. I mean, one of the things that I used to love to do when it came to CQI, um, we, you know, we picked a, a topic that we were going to look at every, uh, you know, month or whatever it was. So yeah. this is this is cardiac month. This is respiratory month. One of the things that I love to do, though, is listen to the radio reports of the medics that were going to the hospital. Oh, my God. And there was yeah. some and there because, you know, that's a skill like anything else. And it's one of the skills oh, yeah. that no one is really no one is really teaching how to do it. And you need to be able to be systematic in how you're doing that. And I remember when I left the military, I was a paramedic already, but I wasn't a street paramedic, you know, take two ibuprofen with that. But yeah. one of the things that I was amazed at when I was uh, working up in, uh, I got my first job, a uh, civilian job with AMR in uh, Massachusetts. There was this guy who gave a radio report and it was like a poet. He was like, it was like a poem. Yeah. I mean, he, he almost sang it into the microphone and, uh, it was amazing to me. And I was like, I got to learn how to do that. But anyway, as a, from a clinical coordinator, from a clinical director, from a chief standpoint, I made it a habit to listen to radio reports. And that would say to me, I just don't like the way that sounds. I like to read that yeah. chart, but again, yeah. it was for the purposes of, uh, saying, how can we help this person? But number two, it was all about saying uh, he could use a little training. They could use a little training here. But number five, reassurance, you know, and reassurance helps to build confidence, as, as Todd points out in his article. Um, I think that as supervisors, uh, as senior medics, uh, as, as educators and trainers, uh, our focus needs to be, by and large, looking for opportunities to say good job as often as we can and taking advantage of those opportunities. Um, as a dog trainer, um, you know, I, I sum it up as, as look, it, uh, the essence of good training is put your dog or your EMT or your partner or whatever in the position to do the right thing the vast majority of the time and then reinforce that action when it occurs. So put them in a position to do it right. And when they do it right, tell them good job. Uh, as they grow in skills and confidence, you, you have the ability to, uh, or you have the need to start looking for teachable moments uh, in a classroom. And as my students progress in, in their skills and knowledge in the classroom, I'll look for those teachable moments and I'll set up not so much gotcha scenarios, but I'll throw them a curve because uh, you can't, you can't fix a deficiency if you don't identify it and you don't uh, address it in a training type situation. Uh, but in real life, real life throws us all the teachable moments we can handle. And there's something to learn from every call. Uh, but that, that reassurance, that affirmation that you're a good provider, you're doing a good job, but maybe you should work on this is, is critical in the development of a young provider. What do you think? You know, one of the things uh, I think you're I think you're right. I mean, when we think about the you're doing a good job, but more importantly, just the word thank you for doing the job you're doing. Oh yeah, thank you. Know you know what I mean? So the uh, most I mean, effective and least used phrase 
<laughs> you know, camp. EMS, EMS is a thankless job, right? I mean, we don't mm-hmm. get the, we don't get the thanks from the people that we're taking care of and they make cookies for the nurses that take care of them for seven days in a hospital. And, um, but one of the things we don't, and we don't look for it. All right. So in EMS, we're not looking for that. Thank you either. We know it's thankless and we've, we've come to the resolve that it's thankless, but that doesn't mean we can't thank our providers. That doesn't mean we can't thank our partners. That doesn't mean we can't thank a paramedic who, you know, had a great, uh, uh, pediatric arrest call and we don't yeah. do it. And we need to be able to think about that because you know what? That pat on the back sometimes is really needed. You know, as an EMS leader, one of the things that I would do uh, is tell people where they may have had some challenge, right? I listened to the radio reports. I I read the run reports. I would see where the good and the bad was. And I wasn't afraid to go up and say, man, you screwed the pooch on that call, didn't you? But it would start (laughs) off by saying, you know, you're, you're really confident. You're smart. You know, you're able to use your skills, man. But on this call, man, what happened? What went wrong? And then I would follow it up by saying, now, next time you're in the same position, how are you going to how are you going to address it? What do you think you're going to look like? Right. We can't really do that if we're not in that position of authority, because people wouldn't say, well, screw you, chief. Who who the heck do you think you are? Let me tell you who I am. Right. But as a as a partner, I can't go up and say, hey, why'd you do that? Why did you do that and not do this? Because the first response you're going to get is who the heck are you to talk to me about my medicine? But the thing that we can say to people is, is thank you. The people we can say is, you know, I'm impressed by, I was impressed by your call. I would, I would, you know, we listen to the radio reports of people who were in the, you know, we're in the ambulance staging, right? We want to hear what the heck's Mm -hmm. going on with that call. When's the last time we went to a partner and said, or a peer and said, Hey, you did a great job on that call. By the way, I was listening to the radio report. I was really impressed with your medicine. Yeah. You know, and uh, I I agree totally. And I I think that uh, I'd like to expand on that in that I think the reassurance and and the affirmation is most valuable when it's one-on-one and personal. Uh, And, and, you know, in because of operational tempo and we're all busy and we're all running our calls and, 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 and uh, you don't have the opportunity to have that, that one-on-one interaction uh, a lot of agencies default to, well, let's have the monthly pizza party or well, let's have the crawfish bowl during EMS week. And we'll, we'll give out our regularly scheduled thank yous to the crew to let them know how important crews to let them know how important they are to us. Uh, but the things that really stick with you, are your immediate supervisor coming up after a bad call and going, hey, brother, how you doing? Um, hey, man, uh, good job on that call. Or, or they send you a personal message. Uh, or if you're on the wall and you're, you're waiting around forever to unload your patient, uh, they stop by and, uh, you know, they bring you a, a Gatorade and a granola bar or something, just something to show that they're, they're interested, uh, and caring about your personal welfare and how you're doing and, and, uh, you know, elements of, of servant leadership that you and I talk about so extensively in this podcast, uh, those things mean more to an individual EMS crew member than all the, the, uh, support in the world from the agency itself. Uh, you got a supervisor like that, that person will bend over backwards uh, to, to make that supervisor look good and to make them proud of them. Uh, 
Uh, and and I'll end by by sharing a, a kind of a, a, a personal story on this from my very first boss in EMS, who was a good guy. He was a, he was a really kind person. He was not a good businessman, but he was a, a good mentor and a, a good uh, servant leader um, in that when we first started at this ambulance service, it was a great place for a new paramedic to learn and, and grow. Um, and he inspired a loyalty from, from his people, uh, from that personal touch. Uh, like I said, he wasn't a good businessman. So there were times in the first year or two, we were in business where, where paychecks didn't get issued, uh, <laughs> which made it extremely tough. Uh, so you, I go to him and say, Hey, you know, look, the wolf is at the door. They're going to come repossess my car. If I don't make a couple of payments and he'd say, how much do you need? And I'd tell him, and he, you know, cut me a check, and I'd go, I'd go pay my car note and and, and get the uh, bill collectors uh, off my back. And you call later to say uh, thank you, and you find out his phone's disconnected, uh, and that <laughs> because he gave you his phone bill money. Now this is horrible business practice, okay? But this is an excellent example of how a leader uh, puts his subordinates' interest above his own. And that kind of reassurance and affirmation from the people you work with is, is part and parcel of making a good and confident EMS provider. But that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. Y'all read Todd's uh, article on EMS One. We'll put it in the show notes. And for myself and co-host Chris Sevalero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.